0: It is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The message that I was going to preach last week until our flights got changed, I really just feel that the Lord wanted me to bring it today, that this is the time to bring this message, and in His timing, that's what it should be. A number of years ago, I remember, and perhaps you remember, when John Lennon was gunned down, and we all kind of grieved over that, you know? Whether or not you liked the Beatles or you didn't like the Beatles, you know, we just kind of all grieved. And it's almost become an anthem or a hymn, a secular hymn today, John Lennon's song, Imagine. And in that song, Imagine, he's talking about imagining for peace and imagining there's no more wars. And somehow or another, in the context of that song, which... I hear more at Christmas time now than I've ever heard before, which says to me it's really becoming a secular song and a secular prayer. But he says, Imagine there's no religion, that if somehow or another you could get rid of religion, then we could have peace upon the earth. As I've thought about that song and what John Lennon sang, and I've thought deeply about our topic today, making peace, and I really realized that peace is becoming more and more of an illusion than it's ever been before. Growing up as a young man, I heard peace preached about as a, in a negative sense, that when you hear them crying, peace, peace, you'll know the end is near. And the topic of peace was addressed in prophetic preaching, and we do hear a lot of talk about pieces. There are peace marches that oftentimes turn violent. There are peace demonstrations that oftentimes turn violent. Because as the prophet Isaiah said, there is no peace for the wicked. And you say, well, pastor, who are the wicked? We are all the wicked. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And there is no peace without Jesus Christ. In the, after of September, the aftermath of September 11th, I was one of those who believed there was going to be a great revival that swept America. I really did. Our church on 9-11, we just opened the doors. In those days, we didn't have the nice sign we have up front, and so we just kind of hand-lettered the sign, prayer service here at Woodland Church tonight, and suddenly our sanctuary was filled in I, it, I don't know if we were the only church in the community that was open, but the co- sanctuary was filled with people who come to pray. I will never forget that powerful service, the National Prayer Service that Billy Graham preached at the National Cathedral. And I've listened to that sermon over and over, and his prophetic preaching, his powerful preaching, but his ability to console and comfort the nation, I miss him. I miss him deeply. I miss him as a voice in the land and the voice in our culture that people trusted. I miss the character and I miss the courage of President Bush during 9-11. And that's not meant as a political statement. But I miss those tears. I miss whether or not you agree with the decisions that he made. I miss the kind of character that he demonstrated as he consoled those who had lost family members, as he consoled those first responders that rushed into the fire, as he immediately came to the side of our Muslim neighbors and pled with us not to be violent and not to respond in hatred, but to love those that may have a different faith than we have. And he got harshly criticized by some by going to Muslim events because his presence demonstrated, you don't have to believe like I believe to be an American. It wasn't a statement of faith for the church, But it was a statement that comes out of the sincere heart of a follower of Jesus Christ. Whether or not you agree with me, whether or not you confess Jesus as Lord, I'm still going to love you, and I'm still going to work at peace with you. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it so sternly when he said, bless your enemies, love your enemies. Briefly, church attendance spiked. Briefly suddenly people began coming in with questions because they were frightened. I will never forget. I will never forget the Congress of the United States standing on the steps of the Capitol and singing God bless America. But peace cannot hold. And please listen to me this morning. This is important. You cannot have peace without Jesus Christ. You cannot have peace in your heart Without Jesus Christ because it wasn't long before the political unity and the national unity of our nation was lost over Afghanistan it was lost over Iraq it was lost over the Patriot Act if you remember that and I could go on and on with all that was lost politically that in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 we experienced as a nation today you just have to be honest. We are more embittered, we are more polarized, and we're more divided as a country than ever before. You don't have to take my word for that. That's the word of Frank Newport, the Gallup poll editor for the New York Times. that was, He was sharing with the New York Times. You can take the word of the Barna Group that I've quoted often here. The Barna Group who does a lot of statistical research for churches, tracked 19 dimensions of spirituality and belief and found that none of them were different than from the pre 9 11 attacks. So politically and spiritually, I believe with all of my heart that this is a nation that more than ever needs to hear and see, needs to hear and see the gospel of Jesus Christ hear it preached, hear it witnessed to, hear it testified to, but they need to see it demonstrated in the lives of everyday believers like you and me. Because our nation, after an initial response to God, after an initial response, God bless America, God protect us, God save us, as Proverbs 26 and verse 11 says, and I know this is going to sound harsh, but hear the heart of this, Pastor, I love you, and I love our country. But our nation has returned like a dog to its vomit, according to Proverbs 26, 11. There is no peace without Jesus Christ. Yeah. And there's still a myth that people argue for, that somehow or another, if we can get the right president, the right senator, the right Congress, if we can get the right people, then the world will have Peace. And that's where the prophetic preaching of my childhood comes back to me, because instead of looking to Christ, we find ourselves looking for the right man that will tell us, or the right woman, that will tell us what to do, and that we must do it if we want peace, and thus it prepares the world for the appearing of one called the Antichrist. It does appear that in every generation, though, as the Bible says, there have been Antichrist. The Bible says in Psalms 37 and verse 37, the peacemaker has a future. Would you say that with me this morning? The peacemaker has a future. Someone that is going to heaven is a peacemaker. Now look at me right here. Someone that is going to heaven is a peacemaker. Someone that knows Jesus Christ as Lord is a peacemaker. Someone who not only confesses with their mouth, but their life demonstrates by their faith that Jesus Christ is Lord is a peacemaker. And in the Bible, peace is not avoiding conflict. Peace is not running away from conflict. Peace is not even appeasing those who attack you and do evil to you. But the work, and let me use the Hebrew word, of shalom making. And remember, we've talked about this many times at Woodland. Peace is much more than the absence of conflict in the Bible. When you speak of peace in the Bible, you're speaking of wholeness, you're speaking of health, you're speaking of prosperity, you're speaking of abundance. When God brings peace, he brings abundant life. And that's what we have to have in our minds. A peaceful marriage is not a marriage where the husband and wife do not fight with each other. A peaceful marriage is where the children do not fight with each other. A peaceful marriage is where there's abundance and where there is conflict. You work to solve it together. When I was a child and we would go on family vacations together, we rode in the back seat of a 63 Dodge. There were no customized vans in those days. We rode in the backseat of that 63 Dodge, and before we would leave to go to the Smoky Mountains where we went every year, my dad would pray with us, and he would remind us. He would say, now, kids, God has been good to us this year. God has blessed us. He's provided for us. And, you know, he's given us the means that we can take this vacation, but it's going to be a long trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. So there can be no arguing in the back seat of the car. you got to get along and love each other. Well, we'd get in the car. Daddy would crank the car, and before he backed out of the driveway between the pecan trees, I can see it now, he'd look over his shoulder and say, now remember, no arguing. We wouldn't be on Highway 41 long before that hand would be over the back seat, you know, smacking us and telling us, no arguing. As I got older, I told my dad, you put the whole family at risk as you're doing this number right here. You're laughing because some of you probably experienced the same thing. But our family had abundant life. Our family had wholeness. Our family had peace, not because we avoided conflict, but because through Christ, who was Lord of our home, we solved conflict. You see, peace is a goal. When peace is your goal, you you take the initiative. And that's your first fill-in. They'll get it up for you in a minute. Peace is a goal. And when peace is your goal, you take the initiative. When I found out I couldn't fly home last week, Georgia and Clemson were playing football. I got to tell you, I didn't have a lot of hopes. We were playing Clemson. But the goal was to win the game, and I watched those Bulldogs step up to the plate and play like Bulldogs ought to play. They took the initiative. It was wonderful. I was screaming in the hotel room, and Becky was saying, quiet, they're guests here. It was wonderful. The Bible says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil. Do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Boy, the apostle is saying there, if you want peace, you got to take the initiative and you got to work for it. Look at all those verbs there. Keep your tongue from telling lies. Turn from evil. Do good. Search. Work. Peace has to be an initiative of our lives. The first thing that it means is that as we're going to work for peacemaking, is that we gather as a church every week to worship the Lord like this. And I hope that soon you will feel comfortable in coming back to church and being a part. I've got to be honest with you, and I'm just being honest and making a real honest confession here. It's three hours difference between here and San Francisco and I sat in my bathrobe in a hotel room last week, and I worshiped with you online, and I drank coffee, and I told my wife, I can see why people are staying at home, but this ain't church. You need to be with the people of God. We need to pray together. We need to worship together. You see, church is not only weekly worship, but it's discipleship. It's meeting together in small communities each week. It's building a a, a healthy uh, family life with other families in the community of Christ. And we become, now listen to this, we become God's secret agents in the community We become those that God sends out like the CIA, Christians in action, as we used to say in youth ministry. God sends us out like the CIA, and we do our jobs well. We work well. We we bless our co-workers. We serve for the good of the community. We may work in an unbelieving world, but we are peacemakers like Daniel and his three friends in the Babylonian kingdom who excelled above everyone else because they worked for peace whatever your vocation is and whether people agree with us or not in our faith we can still work for shalom in the world today we don't run from it in Romans 12 and 18 read this with me this morning do all that you can to live in peace with everyone one more time do all that you can to live in peace with everyone now the second thing I want you to see is you treasure the gift of peace Peace is a priority. Peace is a priority in our marriage, with our children, in our congregation, in our community. Peace from God is peaceableness. Say that word to me. Peaceableness. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to be peaceable. I want to be peaceable. And how does that come? It comes as a direct result. Now listen, peaceableness comes as a direct result of having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's why the Bible says there is no rest for the wicked. Who are the wicked? We are all the wicked. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But in our world today, no one is wicked. No one is at fault. No one is this. No one is that. Because we don't want to admit the guilt of our sin. And yet psychiatrists are telling us today, we have got to bring back the subject of guilt and quit telling people there is no such thing as guilt. And we have to bring back the subject of sin. Jesus said in John 14 and 27, I'm going to read these two verses rapidly. So compare them. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. The world cannot give shalom, wholeness, health, abundant life. Jealousy, this is James chapter 3 and verse 15. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual and demonic. So motivations at work that causes jealousy, motivations of selfishness, political motivations. Sometimes even people who use try to use spiritual motivations upon us, their source is not in God. But look at that last word: demonic. Circle that in your outline this morning. Demonic. And it is that that will bring the Antichrist in. James goes on to say in that same chapter, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life. Now, a holy life is not a perfect life. David said, I've kept your statutes. My heart is is loyal to you. We all know David didn't live a holy life. I mean, a perfect life. Paul said the same thing. We all know Paul didn't live a perfect life. Jesus is the only one that lived a perfect life. But my heart, your heart is set upon God. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle, reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day, cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community, family, job, company, church that lives right with God and enjoy its results only, only, say that word with me, only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other and treating each other with dignity and honor. Do you know that First Corinthians chapter one and verse 24, write this down to the side of your outline. That's just too many notes to put in your outline today. First Corinthians chapter one and verse 24. Now listen carefully. You're going to like this. Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. Would you look at your neighbor and tell them that this morning? Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. I don't know about you, but that's like turning the afterburners on in my life. Because I have Christ, I have the power of God within me. I have the wisdom of God available to me, which leads me to this. God will give you and me wisdom today, if we ask him. Wisdom of how to be peacemakers, how to work for peace. Peace. Now, let me tell you, it starts like this. Somebody hurts you, somebody offends you, somebody does you wrong, and you've got to make a decision. Are you going to get bitter? Are you going to hold that against them? But you have to make a decision. You're going to forgive. You're going to work for peace. You're going to work for shalom. You're going to work for wholeness. Or you make a decision, I'm going to bear a grudge, I'm going to get even. If you throw a bucket of water on me, I'm going to throw five buckets of water on you. If you hit me once, I'm going to hit you twice. Some of you are laughing because you've said those very same things. You can repent later, (laughs) because there's nothing a preacher loves better than to see hands raised at the end of the service. But you got to make a decision. I'm not going to let this bother me. You say, how do I do that? You go to God, and you say, God, I really need your help today. I want to just bust every one of their teeth out. Am I talking to anybody in here this morning? (laughs) Lord, I, I feel it inside, but I know it's sin. There is none righteous before you. God, I need your wisdom and power. I know you've forgiven me. You say, but you don't know what they did to me, Pastor. You're right, I don't. But I want you to hear the most controversial thing I'm going to say this morning. Look me right in the eye. 9-11 was not the worst sin ever committed. There is no sin that will compare to the crucifixion of the Son of God. Think about that. There is no sin that will compare to when God himself walked the face of the earth, took upon himself our flesh and blood, became one of us, loved us, saved us, healed us, prospered us, gave us peace, came into our hearts, and we hated him, we despised him, we spat at him, and Jew and Gentile together crucified Christ. And as he was on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I need God's help to fill me, to fill your pastor with that kind of love. Because I do not want to live out of fellowship with God. For a lack of forgiveness will break my fellowship with God. A lack of working for peace will break my fellowship with God. A lack of working for peace will destroy my marriage. A lack of working for peace would destroy this church. Even though we exist to serve Jesus Christ, a lack of serving God will destroy any nation. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. I want us to pray right now. We're, going to, we're not ending the message, but I want us to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, There are some of us, Lord, and this pastor is one of them. God, I've had to come so many times and say, Lord, give me wisdom. How do I not hold a grudge? How do I, Lord, work in this and not sin in my anger, Lord? Father, how do I work for peace? Help me, Lord, to be a peacemaker, a shalom maker. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. And you see, family, that's exactly how you pray for God's help. If you feel like crying, cry. If you feel like pounding the altar, pound the altar. But we have to pray. The fourth thing I'd say this morning, and I'm so thankful for this, don't be afraid but full of faith. Don't be afraid but full of faith. Just before the service this morning, one of our men called me and or actually texted me and he asked me to pray with him and his wife they both have COVID and and I responded of course we're going to pray and and we're going to trust God with you how can we help you how can we serve you as a community of faith and I'm so grateful for what he wrote back he says pastor thank you but I know God answers prayer we're good we're okay my wife's in the hospital. I just got home from the hospital, but pray for us. You see, friends, you don't have to live in fear of conflict. You don't have to live in fear of a lack of peace. But this is so important that it does take trust in God. Look at Matthew five twenty three and verse 24. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Can you imagine the thoughts that must have went through somebody's mind as they're about to make their, their sacrifice to the Lord in the temple and then God convicts them and they got to look at the priests and they got to look at their friends and their family. and say, you know what? God's just convicted me and brought something to mind. I've got to go take care of this first Because God says it's better to leave your sacrifice and go work for peace. So if you get up and leave during this sermon this morning, I know that you've got somebody you've got to go work some things out with. It's just a part of life. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. Some people, the Bible says, make cutting remarks. But the words of the wise Bring healing. Would you read that with me this morning? The words of the wise bring healing. So what's the goal? What's the initiative? The initiatives, we want to fix the problem, not the blame. We want to fix the problem, not the blame. Because as long as we're fixing the blame, as long as nations blame nations, as long as we but what's the problem? What's the problem in your marriage? What's the problem with your job? Can you fix the problem? Now, remember, as much as it is possible with you, because there are some people who will not work for peace. It is not in their selfish interest to work for peace. I recognize that. It is not in their interest to even begin to think about peace. There are some people politically. There are some people socially. There are some people who this day, it is in their advantage to keep everybody polarized and everybody at odds with each other. They raise money off of that. They, they build coalitions off of that. And so the problem never gets fixed. So as God's secret agents in the world working for peace... And people that are going to heaven are people that work for peace. What do we do? Number one, admit, admit I'm weak without God. Admit I am weak without God. I can't do it without God, which means I have to admit it when I'm angry. It means I have to admit it when I'm afraid and just go to God and say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm dealing with. But the Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God at the right time. He will lift you up in honor. The second thing I have to do, and I do this every morning, on Sunday mornings, I keep doing it because you'd think after 50 years of preaching, this would be all hat for me. But I get nervous every Sunday morning. I find myself, Lord, I know that you're with me. God, I know nothing's going to happen unless you make something happen. It's not my words. It's your power. It's your presence. So affirm the presence of God with you affirm that God's presence is with you. Confess that, believe that. Jesus said he would never leave you nor forsake you. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then the third thing is I've got to align myself then with the will of God. Now, I've got to be honest with you. There have been some times when I've tried to change the will of God. I've wanted to change the will of God. Becky said to me in the middle of winter one time, it was cold, it was freezing. She said, honey, is there someplace warm we could serve God at? And I said, yes, but I guess we move out of the will of God and settle for second best. You ever like that? You'd really like to change his will. You'd like to change his... I have. You see, prayer is not about getting God to do what I want to do. Prayer is about my doing what God wants me to do. It's been a long time since I've referred to the book of Calvin and Hobbes. Those of you who know me well, you know I love Calvin and Hobbes. And One day Calvin is talking to Hobbes. If you're too young to know this, Hobbes is this little toy tiger, but in his imagination he's real. He and Hobbes are walking and he says, you know... I said some bad things to Susie, and I really should try to make it right. Hobbes looks at Calvin and says, well, Calvin, don't you think you should go and apologize to her? Calvin looks back at Hobbes and says, isn't there a less obvious way for me to make it right? You see, aligning ourselves with the will of God Takes humility, doesn't it? It takes humility. One of our young adults that's a doctor now, and in just a few days we'll be finishing his internship as a surgeon. He called me the other day and he says, Pastor. He said, I can't tell you how many times, just little things you would repeat over and over. If you can stand the pull, and God will pull you through. He said, sometimes I find myself going, come on, victory, come on, victory, come on, victory. I want to remind you this morning, humility is not weakness. Humility is meekness. Meekness is strength under control. And Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. Say that again. Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And then finally, ask God for power. Ask God for power you don't have what you want because you don't have you don't ask God for it would you stand with me this morning well I was praying one day this week over this message and I found myself singing this song and it's been a long time since we've sang it it's just simply he is my peace he is my peace Christ is the very power and wisdom of God. He is my peace. He has broken down every chain, broken down every wall. He's broke every chain. And I want us just to sing this to the Lord before we take communion this morning. And and I want to pray for you. But would you let Becky sing it if you don't know at one time. And they're going to put the lyrics on the screen for you. And let's sing this together this morning, honey. Hallelujah. while you sing right now.
1: Oh, friend,
0: for He really does care for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He
1: is our peace.
0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
1: He is our
0: I love you, Lord. For he cares for you, he is our peace, he is our peace. Let's sing it again, he is our
1: peace, he is our peace,
0: he has broken down He broke them down for Daniel he and his friends.
1: Hallelujah. He is our peace. He, he, is is our our peace. peace. He,
0: he has broken, broken down, down every wall. He is our peace. peace. Come on, sing it to him. He's your peace this morning. He Hallelujah. Now whatever it is that's troubling you or bothering you, give it to the Lord. Some of you are troubled about whether you should or shouldn't take the vaccine. Some of you are bothered or worried about your job or conflicts there. Our nation, maybe your marriage, your family, your children. Oh, church, God cares for you. Beloved friend online, God cares for you this morning. Your cares on Him For He cares for you He is our peace He is our peace This week I was asked a very sincere question by someone that said, I'm not a religious person. They said, how do you do this? How do you trust God? How do you trust Jesus? How does this all work? And I keep a very calm I keep a very placid face, but inside my little boy is just jumping up and down because that's the question I live for people to ask me. How? You do it by acting in faith. You do it by trusting God that when you just simply say to him, Jesus Christ, I commit my life to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, that what you did at Calvary, when you shed your blood and you died, you died for my sins. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit that I've fallen short of the glory of God, and I'm asking you to come in and transform my life and everything that pertains to me. And then the miracle happens. It doesn't happen with the ringing of a bell. It doesn't happen with chimes. It doesn't happen with fireworks. But inside your heart, a miracle happens. God breaks the power of sin because you trusted him and you act in faith. One of my favorite illustrations of this is the Bible says that when those 10 lepers heard the word of God, that as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. And leprosy is always a sign of sin. Not that the lepers had sinned and that caused them to get leprosy. But leprosy is always a cleansing from sin. So I told that individual what I'm gonna tell you. God has done it all. All you have to do is trust him. Would you be seated? We're gonna take communion together. But I wanna pray for you right now. And I want to ask you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. And if you're in this room and you've never given your heart to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to commit your heart to him right now. Say, Jesus, just pray like this. Say, Lord Jesus, there is no peace in my heart. And my world, just like our world, is filled with conflict. I want the shalom, I want the peace of God that comes from having my sins forgiven. I want a right relationship with you. I want a right relationship with others. So as much as I know how, I confess my sins. And I trust you, Jesus, that what you did for me at Calvary, (laughs) you did it all right there so that I could be forgiven and have peace with you. For it's in your name I pray, amen and amen. Now, Pastor Corey's gonna come and he's gonna lead us, and I know you may not be prepared for this if you just prayed that prayer, but he's gonna lead us to do what Jesus told us to do and Christians have done for over 2,000 years. We remind ourselves of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. As we take what we call communion together. I hope you'll stick around and watch because he has something to give you at the end of this.
1: In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, it says, God has done it all. He sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. And he has given us the work of making peace between himself and others. What we mean is that God was in Christ offering peace and forgiveness to the people of this world and has given us the work of sharing his message about peace. We were sent to speak for Christ, and God is begging you to listen to our message. We speak for Christ and sincerely ask you to make peace with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the work at Calvary. And Lord, as we hold this bread in our hands this morning, we're reminded, God, that we received peace when you were being whipped and beaten. God, it's because of that we can receive healing today. And so I pray right now for everybody who needs healing today, Lord, will you touch them in Jesus' name. Let's break the bread and partake together. And Father, as we hold this cup in our hands, God, we're reminded that this cup represents your blood that was shed. The blood that was spilled at Calvary on that cross allows us to be forgiven. God, we received your peace when you were nailed to that tree. When your blood flowed down God, we receive peace through forgiveness of our sin, and so this morning we say thank you for all that you've done, and we love you in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. Father, we do thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you, God, that you said it is finished. God, you gave us all we need. And Lord, I pray right now that you would continue to touch your people, that you'd bring healing, Lord, for whatever ailment, sickness, God, whether it's heart issues, whether it's COVID, God, whatever the need is, there is nothing that is too great for you. And God, would you ask us to bring everything to you and lay it at your feet. And so we just lay these requests to you and ask, touch your people today. God, may you do a great work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad that you joined with us today. And if you prayed that prayer with Pastor today, we have a little gift. We have a book that we'd love to give you. If you would just stop at one of our tables and just say, hey, you know, can I have that book that, that you guys were talking about? We'd be glad to give it to you. And if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with Pastor as well, we would love for you to email us at info at woodland.church and let us know. And we'd be glad to send that book as well. And it'll help you in your next steps and in your faith journey as well well thank you so much for coming and please don't forget to give there's so many different ways if you have your offering please place it in the offering baskets along with that communication card okay thank you god bless have a wonderful week